the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Jesus, knowing that the events uh, that are going to happen are going to inevitably lead to his death, those events that are quickly unfolding, gathered all of his disciples together around him in order to just seek to reassure them about the future. John records Jesus' words. This is what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Um, I wonder if you've ever been in a meeting where you have no idea what the speaker is talking about. You know, I think, I think in this scenario, there's, there's a few options that we have available to us. We can either nod enthusiastically, yeah, like some of you are doing. You take your cue from those around you who appear to understand. They appear to know what's going on. Or you feign taking notes. Uh, that's a really good one, I think, just to make it look like you're engaged. You smile occasionally, make some eye contact with the speaker. Or you do what Thomas does. And you simply put up your hand and you interrupt. This is what happens. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? In what proves to be one of the most important questions ever asked, Thomas, always the realist, asks the very question that I'm pretty sure was on the minds of every single one of those disciples in the room. He asks a question that nobody has the courage to ask. Thomas asks for more details. He doesn't simply want to hear that Jesus is coming back. He wants to know something of the plan. He wants to have a map of the journey. Now, any educationalist, and there's plenty of them in the room uh, this morning, will tell you that asking questions is vital to learning. We learn when we are curious. And the same is true about faith. It's absolutely no accident that the logo for the Alpha course is a question mark. You see, I love Thomas because he had the courage to ask questions. I'm so encouraged by Thomas because he wasn't duped into believing that everybody else in the room was following what was being said. You know, I think there's a real danger sometimes that we can sit in church, we can sit in our home groups, we can sit in groups like this together, and we convince ourselves that everybody else around us knows the answer, that it's only me who is struggling to understand. It's only me who has doubts about faith. It's only me who has questions. Well, if you feel like that, and I certainly do at times, then I think both the passage in John 14 and in John 20 should go some way towards reassuring us that the questions that we ask about faith and about who we believe God to be should never be and ought never be, and I pray will never be, met with anything other than love. Here's Jesus' response, which leaves us in no doubt as to the importance of the question. It's one of those seven I am statements that we've been thinking about as we've journeyed through John's gospel. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And just before we go back to our passage in John 20, it's worth noticing, if you look further on in the passage sometime, that because Thomas was willing to step outside of his comfort zone, because he was curious, because he wasn't knocked back, but instead was affirmed by Jesus, as a result, other disciples pile in and ask questions. Judas, then Philip, and goodness knows what else happened in the room, we're not told. But they all felt empowered to question themselves. Asking questions Being curious is infectious. Learning and growing as a community of faith together is vital if we wish to see God's kingdom grow. Asking questions serves to create an environment when everybody feels at ease to learn. So that's the first thing, be curious. Here's the second one, be honest. Acknowledge our doubts. Turn back to those words. Just think about them in, in John 20. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We can safely say, can't we, that Thomas's reaction to the disciples' news is one of disbelief. And I don't think personally that it isn't because he doesn't want to believe. I think it's more that he's afraid to believe. He's afraid to take the disciples at their word because if what they have told him turns out to not be true, then his whole world would come crashing down. He's afraid that accepting what somebody else is telling him would only lead to false hope. Now, I'm pretty confident that all of us can recall times when we've reacted to a piece of news with disbelief. It might be a really, really exciting piece of news. But it just happens that we're afraid to accept it because we don't want our hopes to be raised, only to be dashed if the news turns out to be wrong. Or it might be a piece of absolutely dreadful news, a piece of awful news that we simply don't want to accept as being true. And it's Thomas's honesty in this situation that leads him towards a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Thomas's disbelief is met with a new revelation of Jesus. Thomas's doubt transforms his faith. It helps him to grow as a follower of Jesus. Don't, don't be mistaken, faith and doubt aren't opposites. They are partners in faith. They exist together in a healthy tension within the lives of those who have this sincere desire to grow closer to God and encounter Jesus more fully. Let's read on. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Uh, Johnny mentioned last Sunday that he's uh, very much in danger of being the preacher with um, the props. I'm very much in danger of being the the preacher with the art. Uh, That's uh, due to what I'm going to be doing in the next couple of years. But here we go. Go with me. Towards the end of his life, the Italian painter Caravaggio was commissioned to paint a canvas based on this very story. Uh, The story from John 20. His composition, is, his composition rather, is called The Incredulity of Thomas. It's a wonderful example of Caravaggio's somber realism and his mastery of chiascuro, a technique that employs light and shadow 
in order to direct the gaze of the observer directly towards the heart of the subject. Now, it's a wonderful painting, but whilst it's a wonderful painting, I have a problem with it. And maybe you've already noticed what the problem is. Or maybe you haven't. We've read the text. We've got the image on screen. What's wrong with it? Let me give you a hint. Thomas writes, uh, sorry, John writes, when he said to Thomas, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Earlier in the passage, Thomas exclaimed that he would only believe that Jesus was alive if he physically touched the wounds of Jesus' crucifixion. And yet, nowhere in the passage do we read that he did that. But instead, he simply believed at the moment that Jesus offered himself. Thomas didn't need to have his request granted because it was enough that Jesus was present with him in the moment. And in that moment of realization, Thomas commits the rest of his life to following Jesus, his Lord, and his God. I think there's a sense that Thomas earlier on in the chapter was chasing after a false god. He actually thought that pursuing certainty and evidence based on his own criteria would be the only thing that would convince him. And yet, in the midst of doubt and disbelief, Jesus simply meets with Thomas. Jesus' response is one of love, it's one of acceptance, it's one of affirmation. Jesus' invitation to Thomas is simply, come and see. You know, unfortunately, I think rather uh, like Thomas, we can get absolutely obsessed with wanting to prove our faith. We view doubt as negative. We chase after certainty and the false belief that we can restrict God into following our agenda. We stifle curiosity, we shut down debate, we set out rigid systems of doctrine and become afraid of anything or anyone that views the complexity and the mystery of God in any other way that we do. Thomas teaches us that curiosity and honesty leads to spiritual growth and divine revelation. Greg Boyd, the writer and theologian, in his book, Benefit of the Doubt, Breaking the Idol of Certainty, a book that is, by and large, um, Boyd's account of his wrestling with the subject of doubt, a book I would recommend uh, because it it is quite freeing in its approach. He says this, The self-serving, doubt-quenching, certainty-seeking faith that many Christians choose to pursue is not faith as it's taught in the Scripture. The faith that God's people are called to embrace is one that encourages people to wrestle with God, to not be afraid of questions, to act faithfully in the face of uncertainty. And here's the final thing, briefly. Be patient. God is at work. I want us to stop just for a moment. Just just think for a moment. Imagine what had been going through Thomas's mind during the week between hearing the disciples' news and seeing Jesus for himself. I guess during that time, he's not sure. He can't even dare to hope what his friends have told him is true. And in my mind, as I said, I'm sure he wants to believe, but he's not quite there yet. In truth, as I've already mentioned, the proof he seeks, in fact, 
doesn't actually turn out to be the answer anyway. And despite his uncertainty, despite his fears, despite his doubts, what does he do? He seeks out the company of his fellow disciples. He chooses not to distance himself from them, but he gathers with God's people on the first day of the week to join them in worship, just as we are doing this morning. You know, for those of us gathered here this morning, there's no danger of experiencing FOMO. We've seen God at work in the lives of those who have professed their faith, who've gone down into the water, who have been baptized. And wherever we are on our journey of faith, God promises to meet with us. And whilst we might feel frustrated that God's timing doesn't fit in with our agenda, and it feels perhaps at times that it's more like we're perpetually stuck faith-wise in the middle of the week. I think we can be assured from our story that Sunday is coming. You know, I love, absolutely love being in a room full of Thomases. And the reason why is because when we are surrounded by people who say it's okay to ask questions, who honestly express their doubts, who acknowledge that they, like me, often feel like they're stuck in the middle of the week, it's then that we learn. It's then that we grow. It's then that God turns up. It's then that real growth happens. It's then that lives are changed. As I mentioned earlier, we're uh, doing the... During the autumn term, we're going to run the Alpha course. If you look in focus, you can find out uh, when and where and how it's running. You can find more details there. But please, if you have questions, uh, don't wait until then to ask them. Wherever we are on our spiritual journey, uh, whether we're still exploring faith, or whether, like Thomas, we're about three years in, or whether we're 33 years in, or whether we're 63 years in, it really doesn't matter. We need to be those who ask questions. And please, please, don't embrace what is, I can assure you, a false notion that everyone around you has got it sorted and you're the only one who hasn't. Instead, speak up. Wrestle with the questions of faith. With those you know. With those you see. With those you meet. With those you meet with in small groups. And even if the answers may be slow to arrive, or even if they never arrive, Jesus has promised to meet with us as we patiently explore and learn together. Did you notice the final verse? And I'm going to leave it with you because this is the blessing that Jesus pronounces on each and every one of us here this morning. Then Jesus told him, that's Thomas, because you have seen me, You have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. We're going to pray. The band are going to come up and we're going to sing together as we close. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, in our makeup uh, you have given us inquiring, inquisitive minds. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have revealed to us through your word, what you have revealed about yourself and about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that not only will we be curious, but that we will stay curious. Help us to wrestle 
with all of the wonder of who you are. Help us to have that desire to get to know you and your son better, we pray. Help us not to try in any way, shape or form to just push you into some sort of box that we have made. But rather we ask, reveal the mystery of who you are. Reveal something more about your son, the Lord Jesus, through the spirit that indwells us all, we pray. Help us to be those who wrestle with faith who get to understand, and those who are willing to share the story and live the life with those around, we pray. Amen.